สวัสดีค่ะ and welcome to the Come Back to Care podcast, a place where we're reimagining parenting to be deeply decolonized and intentionally intergenerational. If you've been looking for ways to practice social justice in your daily parenting and nurture your child's development while reparenting your inner child, I am so glad that you're here. I am your host, Nat Nada Wikitsein, a decolonized and licensed clinical psychotherapist, somatic abolitionist, and founder of Come Back to Care, a dot connector, norm agitator, and lover of liberation. In this podcast. We turn down the volume of oppressive social norms and outdated family patterns, so that we can hear our inner voice and raise our children by our own values too. We come back home to our body and the goodness within. We come back to our lineages and communities, and we come back to care together. So come curious and come as you are. Welcome to episode 32 of the Come Back to Care. Podcast. Let's continue the exploration of guilt and self-judgment that we started in the previous episode. If you haven't listened to it yet, I highly encourage you to do so. You'll learn about the four D's framework that you can use to understand your guilt and self-judgment a little better. You'll also explore one practice that you can use to stay anchored in moments when guilt and self-judgment arise. Those two exercises in the previous episode are like a warm-up you do before the workout and the workout itself. And the exercise I'm sharing with you in this episode is like a cool down. Putting these two episodes together, you'll have some practices that you can play with before, during, and after moments when your guilt and self-judgment bubble up. In this episode, you and I will explore a practice that can lower the volume of your inner critics and strengthen your nervous system at the same time. I'll share why this practice can be really nourishing, drawing on lessons from neuroscience, Western psychology, and social justice action. If that sounds generative to you, let's get started. You know, one of my professional pet peeves when it comes to social media tips, scripts, and tricks. To quote unquote, get rid of your child's tantrums is that they are incomplete. These tricks often focus on getting your child to stop the behaviors that you don't want, and that's it. They never talk about what your child can do instead with the unmet needs that prompted the behavior in the first place. This applies to some of the gentle or respectful parenting approaches too, where you can validate your child's feelings all day, like, "I see you're upset." Ah, you're upset. Yes, I see you're upset. No matter how exquisitely you name those feelings, your child won't know what to do differently the next time if you only validate their feelings and stop there. The key is this: every behavior you're trying to reduce needs to be replaced with something more adaptive. Instead of pushing the plate on the floor when they're finished, your toddler can learn to sign, gesture, or say "all done." Instead of biting their friends at school, your preschoolers can put their hand out and communicate "no, thank you" in ways that suit their developmental skills. Instead of slamming the door at you when upset, your teenager can practice saying "I need a timeout." You get the idea, and I'm getting off my soapbox. I'll leave the links to a free directed audio guide and a podcast episode on tantrums and meltdowns for you in the show notes at comebacktocare.com/podcast. 
I'm saying all of this to say that we can honor our inner child and inner critics in the same way we honor our children by meeting their needs where they're at most of the time. In the previous episode, we got to the roots of our guilt and self-judgment to understand what our inner critics were afraid would happen if they stopped being so harsh. With this self-compassion, we lowered the volume of the inner critics. To say it differently, we reduced that self-judgment and now we gotta replace it with something more adaptive, whatever that may be for you in this chapter of your journey. According to cognitive behavioral therapy, guilt, shame, and inner critics are considered negative core beliefs. To fully address these negative core beliefs, we need to build enough positive core beliefs to balance the scale, so to speak. If you've been listening to me for a while, you know that I'm not a fan of the idea of negative core beliefs because of their individualistic connotation. You have negative thoughts, then you need to adjust your mindset, fix your face, and be grateful. This blame on an individual is missing the social, cultural, and political context. That means if you're not in a body that's white, cisgender, heteronormative, middle-class, Christian, and abled, you might have to use guilt and shame to make sure you're not too ethnic, too queer, or too weird, and therefore risk losing your jobs and your ability to pay bills and put food on the table. Or you might have to use self-judgment as a whip on your back so you keep your productivity high for capitalism and keep your authenticity at bay because it causes discomfort in the dominant bodies. Is this survival strategy a negative core belief or an adaptive response to the inequitable social context? Whether you're stuck in patterns of guilt, shame, or self-judgment, or you're automatically using them as survival strategies under systemic oppression, you're so much more than your survival. And this practice I'm about to share will show your inner critics these receipts. I nicknamed this practice, Remember Who You Are. I first heard it from a scientist and psychologist, Joan Bursenko, and I adapted it by adding the political analysis and embodiment layers to it. I'll walk through the four parts of this practice so you can discern and decide if it's generative to experiment with or not. If not, that's great too. Your agency is beautiful. As always, play with what resonates and leave the rest. Here's the invitation. Appreciate, visualize, savor, and share. Let's start with part one, appreciate. Before you go to bed, please bring to mind one moment from your day where you showed up as the parent you know you can be. Please feel free to substitute the prompt for as a decolonized parent, as my highest self, as a good enough parent, or a compassionate parent who caught the voice of the inner critics but moved through it with compassion. It doesn't matter if three seconds after that moment you snapped at your child or if you felt awkward and clumsy in that moment. The moment was the moment. You did what you intended to do. Once you have that moment in mind, the second part is visualize. Go full IMAX. That means bring on a full sensory experience of that moment. What were you doing, feeling, or wearing? Sight, sound, touch, smell, whatever floats your boat. Really relive that moment and breathe life into it. If it's okay with you to linger here for one more breath or three more seconds, please do. 
you could have gone with your autopilot, yet you made an intentional choice there. It's okay to savor this hard and heart work for another breath, if that's not too much. And this is part three, savor. Then part four is share. If you'd like, please take the elevator from your body back up to your thinking brain and share this moment with someone you love or trust or invite your child to share their moment with you too if that fits. Or share this moment with yourself by writing it down in your journal. A bonus point, run an experiment and practice this exercise for five days in a row. So that's the invitation of this practice called Remember Who You Are. Nothing brings me more joy than seeing the parents and caregivers I work with play with these invitations and adapt them to make them their own. Khalil is a single queer parent in polyamorous relationships, and he's raising a 16-year-old, a 5-year-old, and a 2-year-old. Khalil's inner critics can be really loud, criticizing him for not giving his children in the inner critic's words, a normal family to thrive in. Ouch, I know. And before I continue, I want to mention that Khalil and I looked at the literature on the effects of polyamorous relationships among adults on children. And studies show that children, in fact, benefit from having multiple role models, and they can grow up to be adults with secure attachment. I'll leave the link to the work of Dr. Elizabeth Sheff, a sociologist and pioneer in polyamory, in the show notes for you if you're interested. Despite all the literature, Khalil's inner critics aren't convinced. The 4Ds framework that we covered in the previous episode revealed that Khalil's inner critics are really afraid that his choice to have a relationship that's different from patriarchy's norm of heteronormative couple will negatively impact the development of his children. The fear is valid because Khalil clearly loves his children. But is this fear always true? I invited Khalil to experiment with our remember who you are practice as a way to build a collection of receipts to show to his inner critics when they're overly protective and unnecessarily harsh. Khalil described one appreciate moment or the first part of the remember who you are exercise when his 16 year old got in Khalil's car and he was upset about a soccer practice. Khalil would normally default to a coping strategy of buying his son a gift to cheer him up. Seeing his son upset triggers Khalil's inner child wound of abandonment, something he and I continue to work on together in our in, out and through social justice parenting and inner child reparenting cohort. But in this moment, instead of buying something to appease his son, Khalil shared with me that he said to his son, seeing you upset makes me want to rush in and fix the situation for you. But today, I'm here if you want to talk. I invited Khalil to go full IMAX on this scene, which was part two, visualize. He said he wanted to throw up because buying his son a new pair of sneakers would have been much easier. His stomach felt tight like a giant knot. He grabbed onto the wheel tightly. Then he slowly loosened his grip on the wheel, rolled his shoulders down and back, and unhinged his jaw. He still felt uneasy, but after he said what he said, and his son looked back at him with a sense of gratitude, which he said was rare for his 16-year-old. He felt a buzz through his hands and feet, and his throat unclenched, and he could sigh out loud. Khalil and I stayed with the softness in the back of his throat, 
and the openness in his jaw and diaphragm and that activation in his hands and feet for three more breaths. This was part three, savor. Then Khalil said that these cues were his bodily sensations of, oh yes, a feeling of hashtag parenting win, to use his words. For the final part, share, Khalil started recording these reflections in his journal, but he shared with me a few weeks back that he upgraded the practice and changed from journaling that one moment from the day that he felt really good about to sharing it out loud with his children during dinner. Some days, his 16-year-old and 5-year-old joined in and shared their moments too. Other days, they stick to their iPads during dinner. I love that Khalil made this practice, the Khalil method. How are this practice and Khalil's example resonating with you? How might you adapt this practice and make it your own method? Now that you and I have covered the practice, let's explore the neuroscience and social justice action that can shed light on why this practice is important. Appreciation, visualization, savoring, and sharing all affect our nervous systems, our body, and our overall well-being in different ways. Let's go over the research together. First, appreciation. Adrienne Marie Brown wrote in The Emergent Strategy that what we pay attention to grows. And this practice invites you to bring your attention to those moments where your actions align with your values, moments you feel really good about. Paying attention to aspects of our lives that are meaningful and showing appreciation is an aspect of gratitude. And a consistent practice of gratitude can reduce our stress hormone cortisol. With less stress comes less cellular inflammation, better sleep, and less fatigue in heart failure patients, according to the researchers from the University of California, San Diego. When you feel good in your body, your emotional well-being increases. Many studies in Korea and the U.S. show that gratitude helps us better navigate stress and intense feelings. So these are some of the physical and psychological benefits of appreciation and gratitude. All the links to every research study are in the show notes at comebacktocare.com slash podcast. Second, visualization. When we go full IMAX or picture ourselves performing an action, we're activating our motor cortex in the brain and that helps our bodies make this action smoother and more efficient in the future. According to Dr. Srini Pillay, a Harvard-trained psychiatrist and brain researcher, visualization is like mentally rehearsing the actions we want. By activating the motor cortex through visualization, we remember these intended actions better, whether we're parents, patients recovering from strokes, or athletes honing their movements. Third, savoring. Under systemic oppression, many of us have to contort our bodies to conform to the expectations of white, colonial, capitalist patriarchy and to perform the identity roles these oppressors violently assign to us. Otherwise, I might not be trans enough or Asian enough and I'd risk losing my community. Or you might not be professional enough and risk losing your jobs and access to food, housing, and health insurance. To keep up with this contort, conform, and perform survival strategy, our nervous system is often stuck in a survival mode of fight, flight, freeze, fix, people, please. 
Stress hormones are pumping through the body, resulting in chronic stress and a cascade of inflammation in the body, according to Dr. Rupa Maria and Raj Patel, the authors of Inflamed, Deep Medicine, and the Anatomy of Injustice. Stuck in a survival mode of fight, flight, freeze, fix people, please, we might forget that when our bodies feel safe enough and supported enough, no matter how fleeting, we can be in that neurological bandwidth where we feel curious, connected, compassionate, and anchored. In this bandwidth, your stomach might be a little softer, your shoulders drop a little bit more, and your spine sits a little taller after having to contort yourself for so long to make yourself small and invisible. Savoring is an intentional practice to return to our neurological baseline from having been in the fight, flight, freeze, fix, people, please activation mode to reconnect with the nourishing resources that are already within our bodies, even just for three breaths. As if we took a pit stop to take a sip of water before resuming our marathon survival mode. In the In, Out, and Through program, I often say to the parents that we're inviting our nervous system to play hokey pokey. We step out of survival mode into safety through savoring and then step back out into survival mode. The struggle and systemic oppression will still be there and we won't love and light them away. Instead, we're building agility in our nervous system to shift in and out of protection and connection. Deb Dana, a trauma expert specializing in using the lens of polyvagal theory, wrote, quote, It's an acknowledgement that our nervous system is capable of holding both moments of safety and moments of survival, end quote. So that's appreciating, visualizing, savoring. The final part is sharing. Whether you share this moment out loud to yourself or quietly in your journal or with someone you love and trust, the act of sharing is a way to continue that savoring in part three a little longer, deepening your experience of safety, wellness, and nourishment. To say it differently, by sharing, you'll hang out in that neurological state where you feel curious, connected, and compassionate a little while longer. To recap, we walk through a practice I'm inviting you to experiment with called Remember Who You Are, which has four parts to it. Appreciate, visualize, savor, and share. We explored how one family used this exercise and how this exercise shapes our nervous system. Guilt and self-judgment are very human. However, when guilt turns into shame and self-judgment becomes debilitating, it's extremely challenging to show up as our whole selves to both parenting and social justice organizing. And you don't have to get stuck in that shame that gets in the way of you being the parent and advocate you know you can be. I hope that the previous episode and this one provide you with caring and concrete practices that you can experiment with before, during, and after your guilt and self-judgment arise. Before I sign off, I want to share a favorite story with you. A Buddhist monk took a group of people on a walk along the rice field next to the temple. I was one of the few children there. The monk pointed to a tiny rock on the sidewalk and asked me, child, do you think this rock is heavy? And I said, no. Then he pointed to a humongous rock by the temple's wall and asked me, what about that one? Heavy? I immediately said, yes, 
It's huge and heavy. The monk smiled and said, No, it's not heavy if you don't pick it up. We all laughed and he was so pleased with himself. The warmth in my heart in that moment stays with me. Your inner critics often have wisdom to share with you, but not in the most effective way. I hope you can heed their wisdom that you need and leave the unnecessarily harsh criticism behind. There's no need to pick up all the rocks, right? Thank you for remembering who you are with me in this episode, for remembering and savoring your growth and healing, and for being the main character in your story. Every link to the research studies, books, and extra resources mentioned in this episode is in the show notes for you at comebacktocare.com slash podcast. To support my work and keep our psychoeducation and political education free and accessible, please consider leaving a rating and review or offering a one-time financial redistribution by heading to comebacktocare.com slash support. As always, in solidarity and sass. Until next time, please take care.